For our uh, communion meditation this morning, I'd like us to look at uh, Psalm 85. And I think what we'll do is just get right into the scripture reading. Uh, the, psalm, the psalm breaks up into three parts. It opens with uh, prayer, and then there is a pivotal verse, and then there is a confession of confidence in what God will do. The psalm opens this way, Psalm 85, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your salvation, your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Hope you note as we go through those first seven verses, it's directed to God, uh, and it's all you, you, you. You did this. Please, Lord, uh, do this again for us. Let's move on to the next verse, which is the... Um, it's the pivotal verse, and, and notice what happens. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. That line, let me hear, is the one, it's the one place where the, the poet speaks in the first person. Uh, it could also be translated, I will, I will certainly hear. But that's, uh, you have you, 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 and then I will listen. I will certainly listen because God, will, God has things to say. So let's hear what the Lord says. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Amen. This being Graduate Sunday, I thought I should speak on something educational. So uh, uh, in, in my travels between Ohio and Indiana, I regularly pass a, a billboard uh, that advertises a particular liberal arts college. I won't mention, I won't mention its name. Uh, some dedicated alumnus may stumble across our internet feed or something and, and start writing angry letters. We don't want that. And it, indeed, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter which college it is because its uh, advertising slogan would apply to the vast majority of institutions of, of certainly higher learning. In, in our own uh, society and culture. But the, the message on the, the billboard goes like this, that this college says that uh, their mission is teaching students how to think, not what to think. How to think, not what to think. You know, and all of you folks, I'm sure, I'm sure Johnny's folks, they're getting out their checkbooks. That's, you know, one of, of course, he's going to, he's going to Kent State. So, uh, I don't know if that's their slogan or not. I won't venture a guess. But um, 
teaching students how to think, not what to think. This perfectly reflects the spirit of our age. It's a, it's a wonderful motto, really, uh, for uh, our whole understanding of uh, the, the, the life of the mind, if you will. But of course, when they say they're teaching students how to think, not what to think, they're only referring to the really big questions, the, the questions that really matter, the questions like, is there a meaning to anything? Uh, is there a purpose? Is, wh what, is, what is goodness? Uh, what is truth? Uh, on, the, on those questions, they will teach you how to think, not what to think. But uh, thankfully, in most of the disciplines that are, are taught in uh, colleges and universities, they actually do teach people <laughs> what to think as, as well. Aaron, Aaron just finished a degree in engineering from Purdue University, and I'm sure the Purdue engineering faculty uh, they, they're quite intent on teaching their, their graduates how to think, but I'm also confident that they teach them uh, what to think about all sorts of engineering questions. And, you know, every time you, you drive across a bridge, you ought to be thankful that, uh, that uh, people are taught what to think as well as how to think. And you could extend that across uh, so many disciplines in, in the universities. Teaching students how to think, not what to think, is definitely a slogan for the spirit of the age. It reflects what we would call the postmodern perspective that any, uh, any presumption to give an answer to life's big questions uh, is really a form of oppression. It's a form of oppression it's an exercise in indoctrination by the dominant culture to hold on to its position of dominance. Now, it can be, it can be troubling, and, and even though it is troubling, there is a place for the critical assessment of the stories that people live by and the stories that nations and societies tell about themselves. It's often uncomfortable, but it, it needs to be done. But claiming to teach students how to think, not what to think, is uh, intrinsically deceptive, uh, whether intentional or, or otherwise. And the, the, the billboard itself bears witness to that, because the, the billboard is an advertisement, and advertising is nothing if, if not telling people what they ought to think, so that... Uh, so that the billboard is telling us, at the very least, what we ought to think about the purpose of higher education. Or the billboard is telling us uh, what to think about what makes a good college. A good college is one that teaches students how to think, not what to think. Of course, we were, we're supposed to know that already, aren't we? Um, and when you stop to think about it, um, Teaching students how to think, not what to think, at least demands that they will teach students what to think about thinking. <laughs> really? Otherwise, how would you know? How would you recognize a case of someone actually knowing how to think? You, you have to have thought, you have, have to have given some thought to, well, what is thinking? And what does it mean to think? Uh, so that there is, 
There is in this uh, slogan, in this billboard, which reflects the spirit of our age, a, a deep deception that people uh, are slow to, to fess up to. And perhaps this, uh, this billboard, like all other narratives, is just one more exercise in indoctrination to secure and hold on to power. Well, enough of that. As Christians, as Christians, we believe that thinking is part of what makes us the image bearers of God. It's not all that makes us image bearers of God, but it's a, a significant component. Uh, though we do not begin to understand God's thoughts as, as God understands God's thoughts, we are, we are confident not only that God thinks, but that he has made us so that, uh, that we reflect his life in, in some way. In Isaiah 55, we probably remember the Lord says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. We don't, uh, our thinking is not uh, perfectly like God's thinking, but it is similar, it's analogous in some way. And so even though uh, we don't think God's thoughts the way God thinks his own thoughts, in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, the, the Lord says, come let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. It would be very hard to do that if, uh, if not only God thinks, but uh, unless we think. So we are, uh, we are not merely thinking things. I want to be clear about that in talking about thinking. We are much more than thinking things. In a moment, we're going to, to join at the Lord's table and be reminded that uh, we not only think, we, we taste and see. Uh, we're not just thinkers, we're, we're lovers. We're, we're all sorts of, of things beyond thinkers, but thinking is pretty foundational. As a, as a man thinks in his heart, so he, is he. Uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans 12, I beseech you by the mercies of God to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So there is a, it's important for Christians to think uh, as well as, as many other things. Christianity historically has a, a, a slogan of its own for this, uh, this issue of thinking. It's not, it probably wouldn't look as good on a billboard, but it essentially goes like this. The phrase is, thinking God's thoughts after him. Thinking God's thoughts after him. To learn how to think and what to think requires, uh, as people who want to think God's thoughts after God, uh, requires that we listen to God. God's word is truth. But because of sin, because of sin, listening to God and thinking God's thoughts after him is, is not at all straightforward. Uh, and apart from God's grace, it is actually impossible. Sin has so distorted our understanding. Our capacity to think as we ought has been uh, distorted by sin. And if that were not enough... Uh, our natural response when God speaks to us is to, you know, put our finger in our ear and say, I don't want to listen to that. So we're in, a, we're in a pickle apart from the grace of God. God in his kindness and sovereign mercy by his spirit opens our ears, enlightens our minds so that the word that he, he has been speaking is heard and understood. And, and the word that he speaks is... Uh, is uh, is made flesh uh, and, and dwells among us. Uh, 
God comes, the eternal word comes and lives among us and uh, shows us uh, wisdom, shows us God's truth. I am the way, the truth, the life, says Jesus. And in his uh, offering of his life for us on the cross, he gives the final word about uh, our need and, and God's truth and God's faithfulness. The answer to the, the, the big questions that the world is going to say, oh, far be it from us to impose our, our views on, on, on that. You have to figure that out for yourself in your you know, teeny tiny little three score, four score years that you're on the planet. You get to figure out the answer to that on your own. We can't help you with that. We'll just teach you how to think. Well, in Psalm 85, uh, our scripture text turns on listening to what God says. And we noticed in, when we read the psalm that in the structure and design of the psalm, it's clearly, it's clearly meant to arrest us when we get to those lines, I will listen. I will listen. So he prays, he prays, he prays, and then, he, and then you have this one-liner, I will listen to what God the Lord will say. I will listen. And, that's, and then it's, from there on out, it's in third person. He, the Lord will do this. He will do that. Uh, so that the, the meaning, or at least the key to the meaning, is there. And it's not just, here's some propositions, but it's embedded in this beautiful poetry so that it, it sort of positions us uh, artistically between an acknowledgement of our brokenness and our need of God's help and uh, a vision of God's faithfulness in the future this is where we are positioned in life between the grace of God and the promise, between the forgiving grace of God and the promises of a new creation. That's where, we, that's where we're to hang out. The first part of the lesson, the, the, the first point to be understood about I will listen to what the Lord will say, uh, is that in our praying, there is a time to stop praying and to listen for an answer because you have praying 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 I will listen I will listen so that's that's sort of a dramatic point that uh, in in prayer there is there is a time there is a time to pray and then having prayed there is a time to stop and listen to God's answer to our prayers and this is you can see this in other places Habakkuk the prophet uh, begins with a practically a chapter of complaining. And he's, his complaint is about violence in society. There's a topic. Uh, so he complains about why all this violence? And he wants to, and he says, having made his complaint, he says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me. Or we might think of the Lord Jesus. He prayed three times in the garden uh, let this cup pass from me. And he, he received the answer of the Lord in, in his uh, inmost being and rose to meet his betrayer. St. Paul prayed three times that the Lord would take away his thorn in the flesh, and the Lord answered him and said, My grace is enough for you. Now, to be sure, we are to be people who persevere in prayer. Um, I'm not saying that, that we reach a point where we stop praying for things. But if we believe that the Lord hears our prayers and if we believe uh, that 
the Lord is true to his own holy character, we need to, to stop in our prayers and listen. The psalmist in Psalm 85 believes that the Lord does not keep his anger forever. Uh, he believes that there is a limit to the Lord's punishment of the generations of sinners and rebels. He believes that the Lord is a God of steadfast love, and so he prays. And having prayed, he stops and he says, I will surely listen, or let me hear what God the Lord will say. Now here, of course, is the kicker. He says, I'm going to do this because I know what he's going to say. I will listen because I know what the answer will be. He already knows. The Lord will speak peace. The Lord will say shalom. And he will warn his people not to return to wickedness. God is a forgiving God. But that does not mean that forgiving is God's job. That's what uh, some, of, some of the men here have been reading uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, discipleship. And he, he, his opening chapter is about cheap grace. Uh, the, word, the word in German is, is billig. I asked a colleague once who was a German professor, I said, what is this billig? And he says, have you ever shopped at the dollar store? And I said, yeah. I said, that's billig. Cheap grace. Just go down and get it. It's there. Kind of like, you know, that's God's job. Just go get it. God is a forgiving God, but it is not his job to forgive. His forgiveness is to be treasured, not taken for granted. When the Pharisees brought a woman taken in adultery to Jesus, he said to her after he disposed of her accusers, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, when we think about praying and listening and waiting for an answer that you already know is coming, it might strike us as just a little bit uh, redundant, I guess, as a, a perhaps convoluted, seems, you know, sort of a, a, a strange way to position ourselves in life, doesn't it? Not really. I suspect that this practice of, of asking, expecting an answer happens, I, I would think probably hundreds of millions of times every day around the world, wherever there happen to be children with parents, the sort of thing, sort of thing kids do all the time, and they know how to ask, and they're pretty sure that uh, having asked, if they wait, they, they expect an answer. Who would ask for anything unless they believed that they might receive? So if we have sort of a, a, a visceral pushback against this, this man who, who prays and prays and, and listens, and he says, I'm listening because I know what the Lord will say, uh, our pushback is not that this is some strange practice. Our pushback is that uh, God would order our lives such that we have to engage with him in order to, to receive blessing. Our pushback is that God should order our lives uh, uh, as, as, we, as we would desire it, which would be like this, that God would order our lives such that we could sail through and have it all make sense without drawing near to him. Uh, that's, 
that's how we would like to see things go. And we could be, uh, you know, we could be like the folks who, well, when, when we need God, it's good to know that God is there. Uh, but it, it's, it's tedious to, to, to position ourselves in life such that we navigate life in the context of a, a living daily relationship with our covenant Lord. This psalm is a beautiful reminder that the answer to life's big questions, uh, the most important what to think question, the answer is not found at some objective distance where we, having been taught how to think and not what to think, uh, can independently and dispassionately uh, weigh the answers and and come to a, a reasoned conclusion. The psalm reminds us that our only comfort, our only hope, is sustained in communion with our covenant Lord. Final answers are not conclusions that we nail down and carry like cards in our wallets or stakes that we go out in the backyard and and drive the stake and say, now I know and whenever I doubt, I'll come back to this stake. Our assurance is always, as Christians, our assurance is always the certainty of faith. And faith is sustained by the means of grace, by the disciplined use of the means of grace, by the daily exercise, by the uh, regular exercise of the means of grace, the word, the sacraments, and prayer. And only in the practice of these living disciplines whereby we sustain our communion with our covenant Lord, do we hear the Savior's word of peace. Amen.